0: Bouncing Death Cork is a weekly KeyForge podcast focused on competitive play. The podcast is hosted by Kira Mode and Kodamarin. The show is here for listeners to gain a better understanding of how to evaluate decks, how to evaluate their own board position, and how to anticipate opponents' decisions. Without further ado, here is this week's episode.
1: Welcome to Bouncing Death Cork. My name is Kira Mode. I am here with Dameron, and today we're talking about tournament structures.
0: I just came back from PAX and uh, got a little bit of first-hand experience with these tournament structures, and I think that there's a lot of potential in this
1: game for a lot of cool stuff to happen. Different people are running them uh, different ways, because FFG, while they've released the rulebook, I don't think it's common knowledge. And and also, I don't know if everyone likes the way that they're necessarily running the tournaments, too, so we can kind of go over how we think they should be run and what's the right way to go about it. Right. Um, we can
0: post a link to these um, documents on the Twitter, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. so we, we have a Twitter page. So we'll, we'll post, um, you know, the, the two documents. Like one is the Organized Play a document and the other one is the Tournament Rules document. So so we'll just post both of them on our Twitter. Um, but then the actual episodes will just have like a basic description.
0: So yeah, so I want to talk about, really, There's a, we think that there's three basic formats you can run. is a sealed tournament where you open a pack and you just kind of play with them. There's a draft tournament where you kind of open them with a group of people bid on them and then play with them. We'll talk about what we think about that. Then there's constructed, which there are a couple ways to run that where you bring a deck or a couple of decks, and then you play in a tournament
1: structure with decks that you already know what they are, which is pretty standard for most card games. I think Seal's is the easiest one to lead off with. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll run through this one. I think the quickest way. So you basically, you, you walk in the store, you buy a pack, you play whatever's in front of you, and then you run through three rounds. Um, but there are alternate formats to this. So
0: you pick up you pick up a deck, and then it's it's somewhat organized. There might be some prize support, and then you get a record. and I and I know that some stores, at least in my area, are recording the wins of each uh, each house. And I can see like shadows ticking up and ticking up and ticking up. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so sealed is. You know, you just get a couple of decks um, and you play a Swiss tournament. Um, there's also a, a, a format I've seen where you get three decks and then you, you play them you play them out. And then either if you win with the deck, you can't use it anymore in, in subsequent rounds. Or if you lose with the deck, it's eliminated and you can't use it in subsequent r- rounds. And I think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm out of the, like, I mean, I like the just buy a pack the most because it's the most casual format. But out of the multi-pack ones, I would prefer the elimination style because then, you, then there's no cap to the number of players. So if you say, hey, you buy two or three decks, and then the moment you lose with the deck, that deck is out, and you are eliminated when all of your decks are out, it, it provides for an interesting tournament structure because, like, you're eventually, it's like either a double or triple elimination tournament but also like if you just get 2-0 or or 3-0 you can just go home which i right. think is nice that, that that's actually like a cool tournament structure it's just a question of do you have enough players that care enough to do that Right? maybe you only do like a two deck for that but i think it's cool like like they're both fine i, I think they are ran um mostly well like in particular the two or three deck ones you you need to make sure you have a tournament organizer that knows what they're doing they probably have to put the tournament inside of a challenge bracket Online to, to keep track of it. So, like, if you're at your local tournament, and you want to do this. You maybe just bring that up to the organizer because they the the online software will show you how to properly run a double or triple elimination tournament, and then you go from there.
0: Right, and then and then that's still talking casually. Those are that's a casual tournament still because it's sealed. Yeah, it? yeah, it's, and, it's and also you're, sealed, you're pulling but... decks. You probably if you get three decks, probably one of them is good. Uh, or, or, or you know better than the others. You probably have at least a dud, right? I found I found like what one in three decks is like actually really good. Yeah,
1: that, that's that's about right. I, I mean personally, I think the way I, like if I had three decks, I think I would just pick whichever is the best deck and try to run the table. And then if I lose, then you just try for a hail mary with the other decks, <laughs> which I think is cool. Like oh, I lost with my best stuff. Well, let, let's try to make you know some salad out of out of these other ones and see if I can make it happen.
0: Yeah. I've, I've had a good time with that locally. So the draft format is something a little bit more organized, a little bit more competitive than the sealed format. You get a pod of, I don't know, six, eight, ten players. I don't, I don't know the exact best number for it. You give them all one deck. Everyone opens it, passes them around, and looks at all the decks. So everyone has a good idea of you know, what's in each deck, what houses they are, how many creatures they have, which one they think they want to get, and then you go around the table and you bid chains the the handicaps on which on which order you want to pick these decks out of the pile.
1: Yeah, and there's a uh, there's a significant advantage to being able to just read the archon card and know what's in there because I like I noticed when I did one of these, um, there were certain players that they would just look at the archon card and they just sort of scan through and they know what it is, and then like they maybe flip through a couple of the cards, and then there were other people that. They didn't even read the Archon card. They just had to go card by card to know what's in it. And, like, you know, like, just knowledge is so huge here because, like, what I did is I, I just had my phone, and then anytime I looked through a deck, I would just scan through it and give it, like, a quick grade on my phone so I can remember which ones I actually want to bid on and which ones I don't.
0: Def- definitely taking notes. I was taking notes the whole draft.
1: Yeah, um, because like but- you can't take notes of everything, but you can, like, you can say, oh, this is a, an A-level deck or this is a C-level deck and... And then you just know in your head what you're willing to bid on any of them.
0: Really, really any draft tournament of any sort for any game is going to be more skill-intensive and going to reward players who you know the card pool. And, you know, there are skills to reading the Archon card. It's alphabetized, organized in certain ways. Um, but, you know, more about the the, the structure itself, it, it lets you rate these decks and rank them. And in a perfect world, if everyone's bidding perfectly, the handicaps you put on the on the bid evens out the, the power curve of all of these decks.
1: Yeah, unfortunately in practice, that's not really how it goes. And uh, I, I think that the, there's like the way that drafts are supposed to be run based on what the tournament rules say you're supposed to do. And then there's the way that a lot of stores do it their own way. And both ways I think are just bad. Like whereas like with the sealed, I kind of like every version of sealed. I dislike every version of draft.
0: So, so the way that it's supposed to be run is you randomly pick one person. After ever, everyone looks at the decks, you randomly pick one person, and he throws out a bid. He can bid any number of chains to start every game with. Um, yep. And, to, and, and he's not bidding on a deck. He's I, I've seen it. You can either elect a deck and then bid chains one at a time on each deck, or you can bid for pick order. Either way, yeah. if, you, if you're going around in order, person A bids six chains, then the next person bids seven, the next person doesn't want to bid that many, he bids one or two. It really yeah. starts just, it, it just messes messes up everything. I, I don't like it.
1: Yeah, the, the the other problem with the bidding is that it's not a blind bid, so you can always just low bid and then see if anybody beats you, and then if nobody does, you can always just one-up someone or you can let a bidding war proceed and then just come up from the top ropes and outbid everybody. Um, so, like, that's if it were just blind. Like, let's say everyone had a D twelve or a D twenty or something. Then I think people would have to make more honest bids, whether you're bidding on a deck or bidding on pick order. It, it would it would make it so people would give their true intentions on it, in, in terms of the power levels of the deck, and also it saves you time. That's that's like another benefit of it. It definitely saves you time. The the logistical problem is so in the in the rules it says if you open your pack right presumably, I mean, if you're at a table with seven other people, there's a very high likelihood you're not going to play your own deck. Someone's going to outbid you for your deck. They're supposed to give you that deck back at the end of the tournament, and then whatever deck you play with, you're supposed to give it back to someone else. That's a problem, because then other people are playing your cards. And and they could damage them, they could lose a card, or they could just they, walk they, out with they it. They could leave, yeah. Yeah. It, it's And then also, what if you want to leave? Like, what if I'm playing in the Sealed, and I just get curb stomped game one. I'm like, you know what? I got no chance of winning this. I want to go home. Maybe you have to leave. Let's not just be a sore loser <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, there can be any number of reasons, but you can't leave. You have to you have to base you have to basically just like wait it out until the tournament's over, and then you get your decks back.
0: So so the other the other side of the spectrum, which at on the surface level makes more sense, is oh you bid for the deck, you keep it. That's how like drafting works in when you're drafting single cards out of packs. The problem with that is someone pulls the deck. I, I think everyone's like the horseman deck. Everyone wants a horseman deck. I think they're overrated. Yep. We'll talk about that later. Um, mm-hmm. y- you pull a horseman deck. Everyone wants it. So you bid 24. You pick the first deck. You pick the horseman. You start off the game drawing two cards because you have a ridiculous amount of chains. You know you're not going to win. And then, I don't know, you pretend you have the flu. You grab your good deck and you run out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You- that's that's what I hear everyone saying. It's like, oh, if I if I open a horseman deck, I'm just bidding twenty four and taking it, and that's that's not cool. That's not cool for the spirit of the game.
1: Um, we got we got to fix. it. Everyone's cool with it. Well, like not everyone's cool with it, but everyone's accepting of it, which is not a good thing. It's not a good thing that like someone will suggest that they'll bid twenty four and everyone just like, oh yeah, I kind of thought of that too, you know. And and it's just the game heavily incentivizes you to bid high on. On these, uh, on these God decks, which is, it's not a good thing. And it also leaves like a, a, a bad taste in whoever opened the pack, particularly if they're a newer player, right? So if you're a newer player and you're jumping into this game and you pull a, a pack and it has like a bunch of rares and a bunch of rares doesn't mean a lot in terms of competitive play, but it does mean a lot to a new player. It's like, oh, this deck has eight rares. that seems really cool. And then someone just bids 24 on your deck. You're like, oh, now I have some other deck. Well, that's not fun.
0: I remember when I was a kid, I play Yu-Gi-Oh! You open a good pack, and oh my god, look at that card, it's shiny, it's, and you think it's so good, or, or maybe it's not really good, and some big kid comes along, trades you a couple of things which are actually junk, and then you, you realize you get ripped off like a year later. <laughs> you don't like, like that's what, what I don't want to happen for this. So, so what we think, the solution of this, in a draft tournament, you can mulligan the deck you rip, you, you rip
1: open. Yeah. Yeah, and, and now we can debate how many mulligans you should be allowed. Uh, I think you believe you should only get one. I think you should be allowed as many mulligans as you feel like it. But if you if you open a pack and then the deck you open, you don't care if you keep it, you don't care if you lose it, that solves a lot of problems. Because then if, if somebody wants a high bid on your deck, you don't care. If you go home with a different deck and you open, you don't care. And, and then you can I mean, just focus the more. Yeah, th- then at that point, like, okay, let me do... The moves that work best for me winning this tournament right now
0: but then but then if you open the good deck right you're allowed to put that one in your pocket and say i'm buying another deck and then really yep. everyone wins because you didn't wreck the pool because you know it's still just a deck in the pool yep the store's is happy they sold an, they sold an extra deck there's there's no there's, i don't think there's a downside to this
1: yeah no that, that that's that should just be a blanket rule that people are allowed to do
0: I, I think I think it solves at least some if not all, all the problems
1: um yeah and I mean ultimately you know, I just think you shouldn't do drafts for new players like like drafts should be for bigger tournaments or, yeah this, like this is for this is for people who are are here to play
0: and here to think and you know do the game theory there's a lot of talk about that I still don't understand of, of I haven't mastered yet of you know how much you should bid how much you should underbid what the bidding format is how change yeah. like the I did I did a little bit of this I did I did a a draft tournament at at pax and you know i had five chains my opponent had 12 i stomped them it Doesn't the decks didn't matter you know so the chains there is a game here to be played with, with these handicaps and i think there's yeah and i think, and I think cool. if
1: if like what deck you keep weren't in the discussion then then i think people bid differently if you don't have to worry about people damaging your cards people bid differently um so like mm-hmm. that and I, I would just make it for like a group of friends should do a draft or right. uh, players that know what they're doing should do a draft. But if you have newer players and they don't really know what's going on, not only are they at a massive competitive disadvantage because they don't know all the cards, almost every version of of them being involved leads to bad experience for them. So like that, honestly, like if I were a store, I just wouldn't run them. I'd be like, well, if, if your friends want to come in and do one privately, sure. But like officially we're doing, we're doing sealed and we're doing constructed.
0: I mean, there's, you could always have, like, one of the established players, you know, buy his deck in, and then, you know, just, just him getting the deck doesn't factor in. But that, that aside, there, there are ways to solve new players, and that's, yeah. that's person-to-person. One thing that is important to talk about for draft is you can't muddy – you can't mix the pools. If eight people are pulling packs and bidding on them, you can't have them bid a number of chains and then go play in a Swiss round with another pod of eight people. They had a whole different environment of bidding, and their chains are balanced based on those players and those decks.
1: It's yeah, not cool good. to
0: mix those two pods. If you have a if you have a maybe a fifty person in the room thing, you got to find yeah, a you, way to do
1: smaller yeah, so, pods, and then the winners go play winners in a new game. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you should only you should have effectively a bunch of little eight person tournaments. You know, and, and then that makes more sense because like different. You know, like some pods are going to be full of a bunch of nits that only want to bid like two chains at most, and another pod that like their default start (laughs) bid is going to be six, and like there's just no version of the tournament where they should ever play each other.
0: Right, Um, but otherwise, you know, these issues aside, I think draft is cool. I think there there is a game here. I think it adds other complexity to the to the the game. I think it's a cool thing to start a game with chains. It adds another dimension to it. there, there is, a, it's like, I'm not trying to knock draft. I'm just saying that there's a right and a wrong Yeah, way to do it.
1: I, I just think it's not a beginner's thing. It, it should be strictly players that know exactly what they're doing to play it. And then new players should never be forced to experience it. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, <laughs> competitive. So we're talking big tournaments. We're talking maybe your monthly <clears throat> thing that you want to do. These are decks where you are bringing uh, a constructed, a constructed tournament where you bring your best deck or decks. Um, I think I think Key Forge uh, FFG calls it Archon format. So I don't know what the official, like, what world is going to be, what Nationals is going to be, but there are a couple of different formats you can do that that they have suggested, and it'll, it'll be in that Twitter link um, yeah. for, for these constructed tournaments.
1: All right, so let's just run through them. I, I think there's three basic ones that exist. The first is you bring your one deck, and you play your one deck. The second one is you bring... Just a, Swiss, a Swiss tournament. Yeah, that's just regular Swiss. Um, the other one is a swap format. So we both bring one deck, but like me and you, play with our own decks. Round one or game one, then we switch decks. And then if we tie, we bid for the privilege of playing the better deck. And then that bid is the chain handicaps. And then you know it's two out of three.
0: Before, I, I want to talk about that one. I like this format. I the, think it, I think showcase play play swap bid. I, I call it play swap bid. I love it.
1: Um. Oh. I have I have problems with it. I, I think it's a it's better than the just straight bring one deck format. Mm. I, I think I just think like the problem with that I have with the the format is just whenever you have people playing other people's cards, it's it's inherently a little weird, for the same reason that it's weird in draft. But then more importantly, yeah. I just think the person with the better deck has a massive advantage, and and it, it, it's like I don't think the swap mitigates that advantage enough.
0: I think. I think the swap is a cool thing because it puts you in a, in a situation where you're playing against your own deck. Like, yeah. you know your deck's weaknesses and you get to fight that. And that, I haven't seen that a lot. And I'm sure you could do that in other card games, but like, you know, this is an option for us.
1: It yeah, is- I mean, it is cool. It is cool to know, like, okay, I know my deck can function on X amount of chains, but depending on the deck I'm up against, I can modify that number up or down, right? So if I'm up against a really good deck, I know, okay, well, that, that chain mount goes down. But if or, I'm up against the deck, just in, that it goes
0: up. Or just even in game two, in the slop game, where you're playing against your own deck, you know, yeah, you know that what oh, I, if, I kill, if I kill the Witch of the Eye, then the deck shuts off.
1: Yeah, right? exactly. And you, like, and you
0: have that inner knowledge, but you don't know how to do it because you're working with strange tools.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, you always get to look at the Archon cards, right? So if you play with your deck and your deck's better, right, you can win game one, and then you can look at your opponent's deck and be like, okay, if I, if I were playing against my deck, which I'm about to, let me see which cards in this deck can, can bail me out and what I need a mulligan for. So, I mean, it's cool. I, I'm not against it. I just, I, I just think that the last format is the best one. And it, right. and, and it provides the most game theory, which is the we both bring three decks, we get to look at each other's decks, and we both get to ban one of the decks. And then we play two out of three with the other decks.
0: Right, and if you win, you have to switch. So you have to win with both of your remaining two decks. Yeah,
1: that's fun. Because your decks have to have synergy with each other, right? They have to patch up the other deck's weakness. Like, if you bring a deck that, like, if you just bring three versions of the same deck with, like, slight variations in them, um, your opponent can just, if they just have a, um, a lineup that beats your lineup, like, if they just have two decks that both can just smoke your decks, you're in trouble. Um, but if you have a, a diverse decks, like, three decks that do very different things, it's harder for your opponent to corner your decks.
0: Sure. I think I think there's there's room for both play styles. I, I think what this what this does the most of is mitigating people with a good deck or who bought the deck. Right. Yeah. I think I think a diverse lineup is I think it's more powerful because that's how I play the game, but I think there's absolutely, you know, bringing the same three houses for both decks with the same strategy more or less. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> or, or or maybe it looks confusing, maybe they function differently and you know, they just have the same three houses. I, I so don't that, know. That
1: just... be, that, that's the stealth move where you bring diverse decks that just happen to have the same houses. <laughs> so your opponent thinks that you're on like just one play side. Like, nah, these decks do very different things, buddy. Yeah. And I would hope that Worlds goes that style. Because also, like let's say let's say you're you're watching on stream, right? You can see what decks they're playing, but also you gotta see what decks they're afraid of. Or you gotta you gotta look and say, Oh, they banned the time traveler deck. What well, what does the time traveler deck do that this deck that this guy's lineup doesn't like, or, oh, they ban the horseman deck. What does that deck mm-hmm. do that he doesn't like? You know? And, and so you can just see how players would think about these situations. And it, it just provides extra layers to the game that I, that I'm really, really in on.
0: On the, on the high competitive level. Cause you watch any, it. Like anytime I watch an, an esport or an, another thing where there's a ban involved and I don't know the game, I go, I have no idea why that was banned and why it was important. <laughs> but like I've, I've, I, I play a little bit of Dota, and I, I watched them do the band phase. And, like, there's only a couple of them. But I, I say, wow, what a great band because I'm – because I have that that background in the game. So mm-hmm. – um, or I learned something like, oh, that's why they banned that guy. I would have never thought of that.
1: Yeah. Now, I wouldn't recommend the format for weekly tournaments. Um, and, and the only reason I wouldn't recommend it for that is just time. Like, any sort of two-out-of-three format is problematic because you would need to play 90 minutes.
0: Speaking about the, the time, I want to talk about, you know – not go through this rule book, but you know, talk about the, the tournament regulations T- and, and time is the big, the big one for a lot of people. Um, yeah. For, for a best of one format, anything you do in one game, you play 35 minutes and then you go to tiebreakers and we'll talk about tiebreakers in a second, but, um, yeah. 35 minutes. I think it's enough for experienced players to play at a, at a good pace. You don't have to play quick. Cause you, if you play quick, you can add in 15, 20 minutes. If you play slow or if you're playing with someone who's you know, waffling a lot on their turns, maybe an ex- inexperienced player, or maybe you just have two grindy decks, 45 yeah. minutes is totally a thing that could happen, and you'll get hit with time. Um, yeah, 35 minutes is, is, is quick, but I think it's appropriate.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like it. I mean, you can very easily talk me into less time, but it's, I like that it's less than the standard FFG of 50 minutes. Like I think the more the more um, or sorry the less round, the less time you have, the more rounds you can have, and people just want to play cards, and and also like okay, let's talk about tiebreakers. I actually like the tiebreaker rules. I think they're worded incredibly poorly, but <laughs> the gist of it is when the when time stops, whoever's the active player, they finish their turn. The other player gets one turn to respond, and then if neither player has won the game at that point, you then go. Roughly keys plus amber. That's that's the tiebreaker. Right
0: oh, let's talk about the, the roughly. So time ends. Player one finishes. Player two gets his turn. This is yeah. this, this is I'm reading this right off of the rule book. The first thing that happens is any you look at your amber pool. If you have six or more amber, you forge a key. Period.
1: Right. Yep. And
0: then you count the number of keys. And this is important for if there's a situation where player one has two keys and one amber. player two has only one key, but, like, 15, Amber. That second player forges his key, is left with nine, and then wins. So you could be behind a key or something as a second player, make a big stockpile, and come back. I think there's a little bit of – a little
1: squeaky room for comeback. So forge key, check keys. I I think it gives a better representation of who would win that game. And and then also prevents weird situations where, like, you're losing. You know you're going to lose but you're up like a key and then you're like, Oh, I'm just going to miasma for the win here off of tiebreakers, but you know, in two turns, you'd be dead. Right. Right. And another nice thing about this tiebreaker is that, so you, you know, you get the insta forge key, then you say keys plus Amber, whoever has the most wins after that tiebreaker, they actually take your board into consideration. And this is, again, the rule books really convoluted in their wording, but in a nutshell, it's whoever has the most creatures on board of one specific house Plus their hand, that's the next tiebreaker. Which it's, people can it's, create. Hold, hold on, point. it's potential amber is what they call it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you
0: potential look at amber. the amber on your cards and your dudes, right? So, so if I have three Mars guys and two Mars cards with amber on them, I could potentially, on my turn, declare Mars, reap three, play two.
1: My potential amber is five. And like this isn't perfect but it's something and considering how many games take don't take the board into consideration at all the fact that this one takes some level of consideration is nice and they can always tweak it later but i like the precedent that they set here that your board will conceivably matter in tiebreaker situations
0: in like tie tie triple tiebreaker because this is after yeah, yeah. keys being even exactly. and amber in your pool being even
1: yeah so it's not going to come up all the time but the fact that it can come up at all i like um, all right, so let's talk about one last thing, which is chains. Because there, there seems to be a lot of anxiety from some people and impatience from other people as to how ch- uh, chains are going to happen. Namely, people want to know, are these chains going to be affecting tournaments? Right? Like, we're talk- we're some- talking
0: chains assigned to decks. There's, there's yeah, talk like a deck- that, pe- should- that FFG is going to impose chains on some decks by some
1: criteria. Exactly, and and some people are afraid of this because they want to pay hundreds of dollars for the god deck, and other people are hopeful for this because they're tired of getting smoked at their local tournaments. Um, I think it should be pretty clear to everyone, and I, I don't understand why it's not clear, but this is not going to matter for big-time tournaments. Any sort of like regional uh, or better type of tournament that FFG runs, they're not going to assign chains. There's no way that's happening. Um, but at your local level, it could happen. Right, like at your local level, your tur- your tournament organizer has the option of um, putting chains. And I would personally like—I have my own system of how I would assign chains. But I would just hope that how, how would how would you do not, it you know, briefly? Because
0: I mean, I've heard yeah. ideas. What's your idea?
1: So the way I would do it is I would make it so in any given tournament, whoever wins the tournament gets three chains assigned to their deck. Anyone that comes for, for in like, second through
0: for, fourth, for future events yeah, for future at, turn that,
1: at that store. Yeah, It's only at that store, right? Then anyone that comes second through fourth gets one chain assigned. Anyone that ends up fifth or worse removes a chain. And the reason mm. I chose... I'm sorry, removes two chains. The reason I chose those numbers is what you really don't want is you don't want the same guy to come in every week and kill everyone with the same deck. And so I think people will play their deck with three chains. They're probably not playing with six, but they're definitely not playing with nine, right. So I can win the first week and make everyone feel bad. I can win the second week and make everyone feel bad again. The third week, I'm probably not going to kill everybody, right? Like if I win on six chains, I might win, but it's not going to be complete blowouts in all likelihood. And then once I have nine chains, I'm not, I'm not playing that same deck again. Right. So it caps me at three weeks of tyranny before I have to play something else. If and then anyone meanwhile, lets
0: you get to nine chains. I mean, you, you are not playing with the right people. There's no way that you walk into a store and smoke people three weeks in a row. I'm talking you specifically.
1: Oh, come on now. No, no <laughs> faith here. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but then also you can, you also get chains if you're second, right? So if there's a guy that has the god deck and you have the sub god deck, you can't just come in second every week and then play with no chains. Like you're going to get one chain and one or two chains doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's something. And then if you get smoked, right? So if it's clear that your deck falls apart on three chains... Well, if you get end up in fifth, you lose two chains. Now you're back to one chain, and eventually it'll even out to where decks are at the chains they should more or less be. And more importantly, it'll force people to play different decks. Like what's going to end up happening is people aren't going to want to play with chains, so they're going to have to play different decks.
0: It's a good thing to do to do locally to keep things light. And on the on yeah, the on the bigger on the bigger more you know nationals world tournaments, it might do something weird with restricted lists. We don't know exactly what what they're thinking yet but I don't think they're going to smack any decks apart for world.
1: Yeah. There's no version of them doing that because on the one hand, they don't have the technological capabilities to do so. But even if they did, I mean, the problem is I could have a secret good deck that I just never played any tournament and then, um, just show up to worlds with no chains and kill everybody. So that that's just not going to happen. Um, so like anyone that has anxiety towards that, you shouldn't like, if you want to pay 300 bucks for like the double horseman plus time traveler deck, you can do that. And you can rest assured you're going to, you're going to be able to play that worlds. Like that's going to happen. And I would just not want it to be at a tournament organizer's discretion. Like I would just want whatever chain system you have. Maybe you say, if you win, you get one chain and you have like a slow burn to get a bunch of chains. That's up to you. Like mine is more to quickly assign chains. Other people might have a, a slower method. I just don't want it to be like a tournament organizer that goes, Hey, you over there, you've won too much—seven chains, or whatever. Like, not, I, I, I don't want. Cool.
0: I don't think anyone would I, I don't do want. That, time, but you yeah.
1: know, good call. Yeah, anyway. like, just have some organized way that all the players can know what's happening. And then if you don't like it, you go play at a different store, right? Or you voice your opinion to the organizer. Say, hey, look, Kira uh, Mode. I, I see your system. I think it punishes players too much for coming in fourth. Maybe only the second and third place finishers get an additional chain or something. You, or they like can you come can, in and say,
0: Kira Mode, you've been losing too many times. How about you just try a new deck?
1: <laughs> exactly. So <yeah. laughs> There's different ways to go that that, that I think are fine.
0: Okay. So, yeah, tournaments. There's uh, a lot of cool ways to run them.
1: All right, cool. So, yeah, this is all we need to talk about this. Uh, we're going to do a little end thing here at the show. We're just going to say if you want to listen to us or you want to spread the word on how to listen to us, we're on basically every single podcast platform you have. We also have a Twitter. The Twitter is Bouncing Death Park at DeathQuark. and we will be making a Facebook page relatively soon. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Bouncing Death Park. We'll see you next time. Bye.